It's a blessing, God. Our hearts are filled, and it's, it's fun to sing. It's fun to, to look at the lyrics that songwriters have used to put worship on page and, and to help us, God, know how to express what we're feeling inside, God, because sometimes we don't know how to express it, and thank you for songs that help us do that. Uh, we thank you for everything you're doing here in our church community and the churches surrounding us, Lord. Uh, we know we've got one life to live. We know that we don't know our expiration date, but we know we've all got one. And so, God, I pray that we would live it out and do all that we can to give you praise and honor. Uh, we bless you, God, and we thank you for this morning. Speak through me, God. I pray your spirit would empower me, uh, that you allow me to focus, allow us, God, to hear you and hear what you want to deliver to us. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. A couple quick things. So uh, Pastor Jeremy's not here with us today, and he won't be next week. He is preaching at a church just down the street called um, Grace Church in Schiller Park. You might be familiar with that church. It's a church that we helped support when they got planted uh, just a year ago, a year and a half ago. And we gave financially. I'm on their oversight team, which means I meet every quarter with their pastor to give them some coaching, to give them encouragement. And we're trying to help resource them with some pulpit supply when their pastor needs a break. And what a gift to be able to do that. What a gift to be able to do that. And you guys know Pastor Jeremy can handle the word. So we know and we trust that they're being edified through that today. Um, And as well as uh, this past Friday, I was at Taylor University in Indiana. Had the opportunity to preach at the chapel there for the school. Several thousand students were there who uh, love Jesus and they want to hear from God. And I say these two things because I want you guys to know something. When God opens opportunities for uh, Erica or myself or Pastor Jeremy or others from the church to to speak throughout the week or some Sundays, I want you to know that we really do understand that we come as an extension of you guys. We want you to know that when we go to these places, uh, we, we come as part of the brook. And your just love and your support empowers us to do what God has called us to do. And that's pretty fun. It's pretty fun to say, man, this, this, this small church in Chicago on the corner of Oak Park and Barrie is making an impact in communities far beyond where you guys live. To God be the glory for that. Yeah. So, hey, last week was pretty special. Um, if you weren't there, let me tell you about it. We six people get baptized last Sunday. Baptism, yeah, is a public display of the inward faith and newness that God has done in our lives. Um, this place was packed. Because what we do, we tell people when they get baptized, like, hey, you got to invite people. First of all, there are people who know Jesus in your family that just need to be encouraged. And then there's people, friends of yours, people in your spheres who would never step foot into a building like this except to come and support you. And so we want them to say, hey, look, but know that when you share your story and others share their stories, God's going to work through that. And so I just wanted to say just thank you to those who invited people to come on through. And I think through that, what God did was give us a glimpse of something he wants to do here. Uh, we had over 300 people here last Sunday. Yeah. We, we literally had chairs set up in the foyer. Our ushers, I would say, got their money's worth, but they don't get paid, so they got their something worth. I don't know. Our ushers were working, and they were just there doing the thing. And what's cool is one of them came up to me and said, you know, like we know this is a special Sunday, these special weeks we get uh, an influx. But he said, I think God is showing us something he wants to do with the brook. And um, one thing that God has helped us to do is not get too high with the highs or get too low with the lows. Because we've seen our fair share of both. 
the last six and a half years. At the end of the day, we're here to do one thing, and that's lift high the name of Jesus, to be faithful to him, and to see him do his thing. That being said, we also want to reach our neighborhood. We've told you many times, there are 44,000 people that live within a one-mile radius of where you're sitting right now. 44,000 in a one-mile radius. In that same radius, there's probably about four churches in a one-mile radius. There's others just outside of that radius. We've got some work to do. And so our prayer is that this 198-chair sanctuary and our 40-chair overflow will be spaces that get filled. Uh, Not so that the brook can say, hey, we got X amount of people. We've never been about that. We've never been about that. We don't want to be. But we do want to reach people. And so we shared with our church covenant family a couple of weeks ago that our prayer is to do to a second, start a second worship service here at later at the end of 2020. Uh, we want to increase our seating here, and the only way to do that is to add a second service, or we could leave here and tear down buildings and build, build bigger ones. And right now, that's not, that's not what we're about. But we do need to create space, and this is why. Because what happens is when we're full in here, we start losing some of the urgency of saying, man, there's people in our community who still need Jesus, but if there's no space, what do we do? And so what we do, we want to do is create space. And not just to do that, but we also then want to take people whom God has called and with our blessing send them out to start new churches. That's what we've been about since day one. The very first Sunday, October 6, 2013, I stood up here and said, hey, we're planting a church, but we want to plant more churches. And there'll be people among us even now who've felt that calling and are waiting on God's timing. And there's others of you who are here maybe who sensed God's calling and been pushing it away. And we want to say, hey, give God your yes. Talk to us. Let us know so we can come alongside of you. So we want to increase our seating capacity so that we can increase our sending capacity. We want people to go and start churches so others can hear about the good news of Jesus. That's what we want to be about. So we said in 2020, we want to multiply into two services we want to optimize our ministry teams, which means people serving in the Brook Kids and beyond. Uh, we want to generate more generosity to finance what we believe God's calling us to do. And we want to maximize our mission. We, we want to be about this work. You guys with me on this? All right. Well, with this being said, we're talking about generosity today, and it all ties into this. Before I get into that, I just want to know, uh, remind you guys, um, this is not a monologue that I'm giving right now, Right? Monologues, you, you talk, and others just sit and listen. You ought to listen, but it's somewhat of a dialogue. I need you to respond, right? So whenever I go places, places to preach, I remind them, like, hey, when I'm home at the brook, my church family talks back to me. So if you want me to feel at home, I need to hear from you guys. And here at home, we're going to talk, right? And so we're going to be active listeners and say, God, I want to give my amen to what I hear you doing. I want to let your word sink into my mind. Today, God is calling us to be generous people. He wants us to be kind of people who hold all of our lives with a wide open hand. You know, every Sunday when I come and preach, one of the greatest challenges is is to discern what not to say. You know, one of my preaching professors, a guy named Crawford Loritz, who's like a mentor of mine, I love his preaching. Um, He taught us in our preaching course, he said, you know, when you're doing sermon prep, you're in the kitchen. You're you're cooking up the food, but you never bring the kitchen into the dining room, do you? You take just the select items that you've prepared on a dish, and you bring that to the dining room table. And so what we've got to discern is what to leave out. Today I'm going to bring a little more of the kitchen than I typically do to the dining room table, Okay. 
because we're going to talk about generosity and have to get a real good backdrop to understand why God calls us to be generous. A lot of us, as we mentioned before, may have had backgrounds when we associate church with the asking for money. And some of those things have been really wrong and twisted. And so we've been cautious to know how to talk about that in the past. But as I told you guys a couple weeks ago, I would be pastorally irresponsible to not talk about money and generosity. In fact, as I told you two weeks ago, Jesus taught more about money than he taught about heaven and hell combined. And the reason is we all need money, amen? And we've all got to utilize it. We've all got things, expenses. All of us strive to create more income and that's not wrong in and of itself but it's then what we do with it how we live in light of it that matters two weeks ago we said we need to get the right perspective on money the right perspective is this you came into this world broke and you're going to leave broke you came in with nothing and you ain't taking anything out with you so when we realize this that affects the way we see money because it's temporary We saw that money is a root of all sorts of evil because it has a way of of getting our attention and worship and devotion. We also said then, therefore, we've got to be generous. And last week what we looked at was the motive for all generosity is the fact that we serve a generous God who withheld nothing in order to give us eternal life and forgiveness. He did not even withhold his only beloved son, Jesus the Christ. That, that is God's generosity. And Jesus came to die for us to give us forgiveness and eternal life. That is beyond anything we deserve. That's the pinnacle and epitome of generosity. Today what I want us to talk about is an incredible example of generosity. Because some of you, when you were in school, you're kind of like, okay, teacher, you're telling me a lot, but can we just do it, right? If you, if you go to auto school, or if you're, if you're learning, electri- you're in electrical school or something like that, you're in a trade, you can sit in the classroom and learn about how to do what you're supposed to do. But at some point, you got to see it, right? You got to get that hands on. And many of us are learners that say, hey, I need to get an example. You're telling us to be generous. That's cool. I want to be. But what does that look like? What, what does that look like in practice? What's, a, what's an example of generosity? Since you're asking, I'm glad to tell you. We find that example in the book of Exodus, chapter 35. Would you meet me there in your Bible, Exodus 35? That's on page 76 in the blue Bible in front of you. We're going to see that when God gives you that generous heart, when generosity moves you, you get to see God's glory on display. I don't think you all heard me here. I realize you're multitasking. When generosity moves your heart to give, you get to see firsthand God's glory on display. This will be pretty fun to watch here. So if you can, would you stand to your feet with me as I read from Exodus chapter 35, verse 30 and following. I mentioned there's going to be a lot more from the kitchen coming out today, so we're going to be jumping around Exodus. But here's what God's word tells us. In Exodus 35, verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, 
with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all, look at that, craftsmanship. To what? Verse 32, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. God has inspired him to teach both him and Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And he has filled them with the skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skillful designer. That's a lot of detail, but that's important. Verse 36. Bezalel and Holyab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary, that's the tabernacle, shall work in accordance with all the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Holyab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. Verse 3. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for the doing of the work of the sanctuary. Notice this. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came from the task that he was doing. And he said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses comm- gave the command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no, one or w- let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained. Can you say restrained? Restrained from bringing. For the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. This is God's word. You may be seated. This is a picture of God and his people building the tabernacle. See, the tabernacle was a large tent with a courtyard around it, as you see here in the picture. The courtyard itself was 150 feet long and some 75 feet wide. As you enter the courtyard, you would see a bronze altar for sacrifices. And just beyond the bronze altar, there was a bronze basin for ritual washing, for cleansing of your hands. As you go further, you see the tabernacle itself. 15 feet tall, 15 feet wide, 45 feet deep. If you entered into the tabernacle, you'd see a golden lampstand. You'd see a table for bread. And then you see another room inside inside that tabernacle, which is called the most holy place, the holy of holies. And inside the holy of holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant where God showed himself to his people. The tabernacle was a unique construction. It was a tent, which means it was able to be packed up and moved on when God told his people to move on. The tabernacle was what God had told his people to set up for worship while they were wandering in the wilderness after coming out of Egypt. God told his people to build this tabernacle with particular specifications. 
you notice there, you'll see that there's different cloths that draped over the tabernacle. Four layers to be exact. There was intricate design, gold-plated wooden beams, scarlet, blue, and purple yarns woven together. You got to understand something about that. That's high-end kind of stuff. That's not the kind of stuff that you could find at the local corner store. That's the stuff that skilled people had to put together. And so this tabernacle was meant to be created with all reverence and skill and artistry. The tabernacle was something that God put prime importance upon for his people. But what I want you to understand here is that in order for the tabernacle to get constructed properly, there had to be the right people to put it together. As we see in our passage here, you can move from that slide, there's a man by the name of Bezalel that we're told there in verse 30 that God had set apart for the crafting of the tabernacle. We find out that he is the grandson of a guy by the name of Hur. Now, if you know your book of Exodus, you might recognize the name Hur. Him and Aaron were two men that held up Moses' hands like this as they were fighting against the Amalekites. Hur was a man of God, as was Aaron and Moses. And here we see Hur's grandson still doing God's work. When I see things like this in Scripture, I can't help but think about legacy. This is not what the passage is about, but it's worth stating. Because one thing that's important is that we all want to leave a legacy that's going to matter, and I find it really sweet to see that Hur's grandson was still serving the Lord. That begins with us. Your legacy starts today. Your legacy is what you do, every decision you make. Now, of course, those after you have to make their own choices, but you could set them in a trajectory, just like Hur did for his son Bezalel. We find this about Bezalel there in verse 31, that God had filled him with the Spirit of God. Now, for some of us, that just seems like, okay, he was a follower of God. Of course he had the Spirit of God. Well, not so fast. You see, in the Old Testament of the Bible, it's the Old Covenant. Jesus had not yet come on the scene in human flesh, which means the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon all of God's followers yet. So only a specified few were empowered by the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And even then, their fillings were not necessarily permanent as they are for us today. And so for God to know that this man Bezalel was filled with the Spirit, that's a significant thing. And here, Bezalel was filled with God's Spirit for this. I love this. because it's not what we think about. He was filled with skill, intelligence, knowledge, and craftsmanship. This guy would give those on HGTV a run for their money. Notice there, he was filled with skill, which means he was wise in technical work. He was filled with intelligence, which means he was clever, had an understanding And he had knowledge, which means he had creativity. God had set before him this command to create this tabernacle, and it required a man who had some skill. But not just know-how, but the hands-on skill, which is to say that he had all craftsmanship. He designed artistic work. He had the responsibility of also training his right-hand man by the name of Oholiab to help build this tabernacle. I need you to all stick with me here. They then had the responsibility to be generous with their gifts to train other people to help out. Look at chapter 35, verse 10. 
It's the page before in those blue Bibles. It says, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. So they needed to recruit a team of people to create these pieces for the tabernacle. But not only did they do that, look at verse 25 of that same chapter. And every skillful woman spun with her hand, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. What we find is that both men and women who had these craftsmen kind of skills teamed up with Bezalel and Aholiab to build the, the tabernacle. I'm not that kind of person with that kind of skill. You don't want me crafting the tabernacle. And what I love how God did here is he grabbed people with a different kind of skill set, empowered them to do this kind of work. And then these people were careful to not just keep it to themselves. See, notice here, when God has given you richness in various ways, spend it generously. Bezalel was rich in craftsmanship, and he spent that gloriously. All of us have been indwelled with different kinds of skills and gifts from God himself if you're a follower of Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit, which means you have a spiritual gift, which means then you've got to take that gift, that richness, and spend it for God's glory. We're going to learn more about that, as Erica mentioned, in our real communities this week. This is crucial because too often we're living wishing we had someone else's skill set when God's like, look what I gave you. You're rich in what I've given you. Use it. Use it. We don't see Bezalel saying, how come I didn't get to part the Red Sea? Moses got a staff. I got a hammer. No, but he's using what God gave him as Moses used what God gave him. And they put it together, their skills. I love how it says in verse 32, to devise artistic designs. God gave them spiritual gifting to be artists for his glory. And some of you guys have that gifting. And you've got to be generous for God, though, and not use it for other purposes. Johann Sebastian Bach, one of the greatest composers of all time, the German man, who was himself a follower of Jesus, said this. He says, the aim and final end of all music should be none other than the glory of God and the refreshment of the soul. He says elsewhere, I play the notes as they are written, but it is God who makes the music. That's a man who understands that God had given him an ability for him to use. And when he uses it, the one who gave the gift gets all the praise. So when you go teach in those classrooms in CPS, you teach for the glory of God. When you make music, you make music for the glory of God. When you stick IVs in somebody, when you prescribe drugs for somebody, when you come alongside to help clean for somebody, whatever you're doing, you do it for the glory of God. Because God gave you that gift, that skill. And that's what Bezalel and Aholiab understood. They understood also that whatever God wills, God also empowers. God's like, I want a tabernacle. I want a tabernacle that has artistic design, that is beautiful, overlaid with gold. I need some skilled people. God's like, I desire it, so I'll empower it. And he empowered the people to do it. I love how he does it here. This tabernacle is well underway. But one thing remains, though. 
Where are they going to find the gold? Where are they going to find the linen? But people then had to give it. I love how it says here. Look at chapter 35, verse 5, verse 4. It says, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution. Can you say contribution? A contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Notice what it also says in verse 21, that same chapter 35. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution. Look at verse 26. All the women whose hearts stirred them. Look at chapter 36. In verse 2, it says, Everyone at the end whose heart stirred him. These are people whose hearts were moved to give of their own resources for the construction of the tabernacle. It was a contribution. Now, this is important for you to understand. In the Old Testament law, God's people were required, required by law, to give 10%, a tithe of all that they had, of their, of their, their, their fruit from the ground, of their, of their cattle. They were required to give 10% of it, of all their income back to God. That was, that was the law. This here, as the people gave, was not part of that 10%. The people had already given their 10%. But this is what you call a free will offering. Look at there in verse 29 of chapter 35. I know I'm moving here a lot, but check this out. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the Lord, for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses, to be done, uh, to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. These are people had already given the expected financial contribution back to God's work. And these are people who said, but God is moving my heart. My heart is so stirred. I'm going to give above and beyond because I want this, this tabernacle constructed. You see, it's important for us to understand when God has blessed us, our hearts are going to be stirred at different times toward generosity. But generosity that is stirred is of nothing unless it's generosity that produces activity. See, a lot of us can feel all sorts of good ways, but if it doesn't produce action, it remains just a sentimental feeling. You can stir up the cake ingredients in a bowl, but until you put that in the cake pan and in the oven, it's going to produce nothing. These were people who were moved in their hearts, who were stirred, but then let it then proceed into giving. They gave God their yes. This is what God wants of us, fam. Because at different times, our hearts are going to be moved for all kinds of things. But please let it be that it's first and foremost moved to do what God wants for his kingdom and the advancement of his glory. And when he moves in your heart, don't let that become quenched. Because let me, let me just chew on that a little bit longer. That's good to do, but we could chew on something for so long that we just spit it out, Right? When he moves us to be generous, let's be generous. Yes, let's be wise. Let's be calculated. But let's be generous. Sincerity of heart without activity of life is a good idea that doesn't make a difference. 
I find it interesting, though, as I read these, the way Moses words it. If you notice here in verse 2 of chapter 36, it says, Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put, notice that, he had put skill. And also with that, everyone whose heart stirred him up. I I find it interesting because every time he mentions, he says their heart stirred them up or their spirit moved them. But it doesn't say God stirred them up or that God moved them. And as I was looking, theologically, I see that. And I'm like, I know that when we move, I, I can't do that on my own. God has to do something in me. But Moses is going through pains here to say something like, look, yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God's going to build this tabernacle with or without you. And in God's sovereignty, there is this tension that, yes, we have free will. And how that works together, I don't know. But I know God is sovereign. His will will be done, and I know he gives me the freedom to choose. And how that works, I don't know, but that's what the Bible teaches. And so what Moses appears to be emphasizing here is the fact that the people were moved. The people, out of their own hearts, had generosity. that said, I want to give to this work. And then God used their generosity. Now, as I was reading this, though, I was like, man, but where does that come from for the people? Like, why were they so excited to build this tent? Why were they so excited to give well above and beyond? I mean, this was a sacrifice for them. Who knows what percentage of their income they ended up giving when the base was 10%. They gave far above and beyond, the Jewish people did here. And so they just gave and they gave and they gave. Their hearts were stirred. In fact, what I find so crazy is what it says about them. We see here in verse 3 of chapter, of chapter 36, they still kept bringing free will offerings every morning to the point we see there in verse 5, the people tell Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. They just keep bringing more stuff for us. We got like piles of gold we don't need to use. We got piles of purple linen. You got to tell the people to stop giving. Are you kidding me? Like here we're like, we'll build a second tabernacle then, right? Just keep building more things. But this wasn't the point. The point was to construct the tabernacle. And so Moses, in verse 6, has to proclaim a decree throughout the camp saying, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. And it says, so the people were restrained. God had to put a restraining order on them. I mean, imagine this. Every fundraiser in the world is like, how did this happen? You know, every, every fundraiser in the world. They were energized in their giving. They considered it a privilege to give. They were inspired, and they gave us this incredible example. They had to be restrained. It's like the kid in the playground who's been playing, and the parents like, hey, we got to go now. Because like, but I've been having so much fun. And like, no, we got to go. And eventually you might need to just grab him by the back of the coat. Like, we got to go because if I wait for you, it's not going to happen. You got to restrain. And this is what it's like. like. They're like, we're just having so much fun giving to God. God's got to restrain us. Where does that come from? You know, I was studying this passage and just asking that question. Like, like really, like, I know the human heart because I know my own heart. 
And I don't give like that more often than not. Exodus chapter 25 through 40 is a description of the building and God's instructions for building the tabernacle. There's different stories interwoven in there, but the, the general theme is the building of the tabernacle. I want you to meet me in chapter 25 here. Go over to Exodus chapter 25. That's page 65 in the blue Bibles. See, as I gave you a description of the tabernacle to open up the service, uh, my sermon, I left out intentionally an important detail. And we find this detail here in chapter 25, verses 1 and following. The initial verses sound much like the passage we just read. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet yarns, uh, fine linen, uh, goat's hair, tanned, ram skin, and so forth. Verse 6, oil for the lamb, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrance of incense, onyx stone, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breast, uh, for the breast piece. These are all the things God's people were to bring. And verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. I bet you missed it. I bet you missed the why there in verse 7. Verse 8, sorry. Of course you missed it in verse 7. He says in verse 8, let them make me, this is God speaking, a sanctuary. Why? That's the that word right there. That's a, that's, a, that's a result clause. So that, what? I may dwell in their midst. Look, this is what the people of Israel understand. They understand that when they built the tabernacle, the God who brought them out of Egypt with ten plagues parted a Red Sea came upon Mount Sinai, would choose to dwell in their midst. God's people are like, look, so God, you're telling me, if we build this tabernacle, you're going to make your home among us? We're, we're got to give. What, 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 else, what else do you want? You want my necklace? You want my earrings? God, we want you here. What drove them to generosity was proximity with God. They understood that when they were generous, look at this, they get to see God's glory on display, church. They were like, we want some of that. We we want that here with us. God, we want you with us. You see, when God puts in our hearts, and our hearts are on move to be generous for God's glory, we get to see him at work. And there is no greater joy than to see God work in and through you. God's like, I'm going to be there right in your midst. That's pretty exciting. Now I understand why God had to restrain them. I got to tell you something. What did they see at the end of this book? Slide over to Exodus chapter 40, the very last chapter of this book. All these chapters, they're building this tabernacle. They're getting instruction. Honestly, when I read this in my own quiet time, I'm like, okay, how fast can I skim these chapters 
because I don't care about how many cubits wide and large. I start thinking like that because I'm seeing the weeds. I'm seeing the trees that miss the whole forest. This is the forest there. Exodus chapter 40, verse 33. This is the very end. What do they do? They finished all the materials, and it says, He erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. And there's verse 34. Then, notice, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. They got to see it with their own eyes. Could you imagine? When it's finally completed, and those who gave without any reservation see God's glory over the tabernacle, can you imagine the emotion they felt saying, I had a part in that. I, I got, to, I got to, to join God in his work. What a privilege. And some of you are thinking like, but well, we ain't got a tabernacle. The tabernacle's gone. There's no longer tabernacles. They ended up replacing it with a temple, and the temple was destroyed in 586 B.C. They rebuilt another one. That got destroyed in 8070. Now there's no temple. So where's God's glory? Where, where, where does God dwell? What, what moves us then now? to give if we don't get to see a tent. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. God became a man. And his name is Jesus. John 1 14 it says this, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Greek word translated literally is he tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory glory as the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth John 1 14 you see what God was like look this tabernacle is good yeah I'll dwell there but that's not enough yeah you enter into the holy of holies once a year to offer a sacrifice for your sins on the day of atonement but that ain't enough yeah you can then create a temple that's far more permanent, but even that still is not enough because that gets torn down. So what am I going to do to show my glory and my presence? I am going to come down myself. I'm going to become a man and walk on this earth. This God's like, you can't have a holy of holies like this, so I'm going to be myself the sacrifice. I'm going to go to a cross to save you from your sins. Not on one day of atonement once a year, but one time for all, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. Jesus died for you and me. He is the tabernacle. He is God on this earth. So then why do we give? Why are we generous? Because God dwelt among us and saved us from our sins. And what does Habakkuk say? Let the glory of the, earth, of the Lord Fill this earth as the waters cover the seas. See, we get an opportunity as those who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus to now be generous and then see God's glory cover the earth, not just the tabernacle. God uses our generosity. See, family, God wants us 
to be generous people. Because the tighter we hold on to money, the tighter we hold on to misery. The more tightly we hold on to heaven, the more loosely we hold on to earth. So we brought nothing in, and we're not taking it out. You ever get an opportunity to go to a special engagement? You're excited about it, and the next day you get another invitation to a special engagement on the same exact day, at the same exact time, and you just wish I could be two places at once, and you just know that's not possible? Well, in like manner, your treasure cannot be two places at once. You're either storing it up in heaven or you're storing it up on earth. What God is telling us is be generous and watch my glory on display through your generosity. There are some of us here who don't yet know God's generosity toward you. I want you to know that this Jesus came for you. He came for you to save you from your sins to give you a new life and forgiveness. You don't have to go to bed anxious and worried about what's happening next. If you put your faith in Jesus and turn from your sin, that's called repentance. God will give you a new life. And then watch his glory at work through you. In a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to have our prayer team to come forward. God is stirring your heart. He's moving your heart in some way today. And you want to solidify that Come forward and let a prayer team member pray with you. Let them just come to God on behalf of whatever he's doing in your heart. And watch what God does as you give him your yes. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. How can we ever fully understand all that you do? God, this is a drop in the bucket I talked about of all your glorious workings. God, you want the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, the regenerating work of your Holy Spirit, and the eternal life that's found in you to be spread throughout this world. God, I pray that you would use us, use our talents, use our gifts, use the richness that you've given us to spend it on your fame. Oh, Father, give us that kind of heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up together as we close in this final song, giving God our praise for how great he is.